Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I am a yoga teacher with many years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to show you how to get confident, speak clearly, feel authentic, grow your impact, earn your worth, and build a community. For years, I've been working with teachers in my signature program, the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program, and I've seen so many teachers transform, and I can help you get there too. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, don't forget to also follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian. And this is episode 214. So I am recording this on November 17th. I had to take a look at my notes. And this will post on November 21st, Monday, November 21st, 2022. We are heading towards the end of the year. Oh my goodness. And I want to just start out by just really thanking those of you who, if you're one of the listeners who's reached out to me and said, oh, I loved this about the last show, or this got me thinking, or sent me a note, or sent me a DM on Instagram, I just want to thank you. And I just really appreciate and love to hear anything from you about any of these episodes. So if you're inspired as you listen to this episode to send me a DM on Instagram or an email, I would just so appreciate it. It's just, um, it's kind of weird just talking into the void here. And so that's why it's really fun when I get some notes from people uh, just sharing anything that came to their mind as they were listening. So I am, you know, of course, as I said at the start of the show, I'm recording this on a Thursday and it's going live on a Monday. And yesterday, which was Wednesday, the 16th of November, was my monthly workshop for the month. And if you're one of the teachers that was there, awesome. Thank you for signing up. Thank you for showing up. If you signed up and and couldn't make it and you're watching the replay, that's awesome as well. And if you didn't sign up and you wanted to and just forgot, well, good news, because I'm going to tell you uh, how you can catch the replay in this episode here today. And I'm also going to give you a little preview because the feedback uh, that I got, you know, both during the workshop, I had two sessions uh, and afterwards in some messages I got was just really positive. So I want to share this information with you so that if you didn't have an opportunity to be at the workshop, you can hear it, you can see it, you can, you know, have access to this information. So the topic of the workshop was 10 Steps to Confident Teaching. And the reason, you know, if you've been watching my workshop topics for the past several years, actually, they're almost always focused on 
teaching skills or a particular aspect about anatomy. That's, you know, obviously my passion, so near and dear to my heart. And at the same time, I focus a lot as well on the mindset. And I think if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know that some of my episodes and even some of the episodes about anatomy or teaching skills, I sometimes have a sidebar conversation about something regarding mindset, personal growth, personal development. I'm a huge proponent of that. And, um, and so this idea of building your confidence as a teacher, the reason I picked this topic is because you know, confidence is sort of an interesting thing when you think about it, because we can say, well, how do we build our confidence as a teacher? How do we get more confident as a teacher? And, you know, kind of the quick answer to that would be, well, you just get more knowledge. But that's not necessarily true, because I can certainly say there are teachers in my program who come to me with a lot of hours of training and a lot of knowledge, but they're not very confident. And by the same token, <clears throat> I have some teachers I've worked with who don't have a lot of experience, but they have a high degree of confidence. So it's not always just a, a slam dunk that if you have a lot of knowledge, you're going to be confident. And let's again, just think of this in the context of being a teacher. So there is absolutely a mindset piece component to being a confident yoga teacher. However, <laughs> I think for the majority of teachers that I talk to, that I work with, the common thread is really two things. Number one, there is, um, there is a gap when it comes to understanding movement. And because 80 to 90% of what we're doing as a teacher is talking people through the sequence, if we don't understand movement, it can be really hard to cue them with confidence. And then the next reason it's challenging for teachers to build their confidence is because no one really teaches us how to do that. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen that on any 200 hour teacher training agenda. I've never gone to a workshop about it. I've never heard another teacher talk about it it's sort of never discussed. And it's, it's really kind of odd because you would think that that would be one of the most important things to talk to teachers about. And so that was a large reason behind my selecting that topic for this month's workshop. And it was pretty evident in the feedback I got that teachers were really appreciative of access to this information. And I'll, I'll tell you kind of the, the overarching um, theme in a lot of what I shared in terms of how to get more confident, how to build more confidence, really had to do with simplifying, really had to do with simplifying. And I can absolutely and unequivocally say that most of the teachers I work with in my program are making things way too complicated. And it's not by their own design. It's often because that's how they're trained. Complicated language, complicated cueing, complicated sequencing, just 
imagine it, I've used this metaphor before, like a backpack, you're putting another weight in there, you're putting another weight in there, you're putting another weight in there, and pretty soon you can't walk. And this is what I'm often seeing. And of course, it's hard to be a confident teacher when you're just constantly throwing obstacles in the road for yourself. And by obstacles, what I mean is making things really complex. And I think that sort of comes from all of the outward influences we see on social media and, you know, YouTube and online classes and in-person classes, all the things that influence us as teachers. I really do believe that that creates a perceived need to make things complicated and to pick poses that are complex and to make sequences that are complex and to change things all the time. And um, that's really not an absolute. I mean, I don't believe that that is necessary for you to be a quality, confident, effective, impactful teacher that things be complicated. So I'm going to give you a really quick overview of what we talked about in the workshop. And if you want the replay, just send me a DM on Instagram or email me and I'll send you the Zoom link. I did two sessions, so I actually have two replays. There are pretty much the same, although some of the questions at the end are different. And I, you know, maybe added a little bit or deleted a little bit, but essentially it's the same. Honestly, don't worry about it. I'll send you a link to one of the, one of the sessions. So if you'd like the full, cause I'm not going to obviously go into the full workshop content here. And, um, I will say from a timing perspective, I, um, I promised the workshop wouldn't be more than an hour and it only runs about 45 minutes. So it's really not a huge time commitment for a big return on investment when you watch. So 10 steps to confident teaching. I'm just going to go through the 10. And if you're listening and you're at the workshop, this will sound familiar to you or if you watch the replay because you signed up. Um, but again, even if you missed it, you can get the replay, just get in touch with me by DM or email, and I'll send it to you. So number one is use a similar sequence from class to class. And I want you to just keep in mind, the idea is simplifying. When we simplify, we take those rocks out of our imaginary backpack. It allows us to have better focus. Better focus equals more confidence. Teaching the same sequence you know, over and over again allows us to build competency in teaching it, competency equals building confidence. Number two, hold back from using music or only use it towards the end. Using music is an unnecessary feature to teaching. Even though people think, oh, it's just so common to have music in class. It's so nice to have music in class. Of course, class needs to have music. None of that is true. I taught for probably five or six, maybe seven, maybe even 10 years, never using music. Um, it's another complication. It's another factor for you to manage. It's a distraction for you as a teacher. It's even potentially a distraction for your student. So if you want to build your confidence, you got to cut out the distractions and music is a distraction. Not saying don't use it, just 
consider not using it for a while until you get steadier on your feet. Number three, use action cues instead of alignment, anatomy, or feeling-based cues. Action cues are just telling people what you want them to do. When And they're typically cues that you can 100% stand behind, meaning you know what they are, you know how to tell people how to get into the poses just by telling them actions. And so you've got a higher degree of confidence around sharing an action cue. However, anatomy cues, alignment cues, feeling-based cues can bring us into areas where we need to have specialized knowledge. And that is where the lack of confidence also often lies. I go into this one a lot more in the workshop itself. So if you're intrigued, definitely ask me for the replay. I'll send it to you. Number five. Oh, and I'm sorry. Number four, share three to four action cues per pose. So this relates to a framework that you can use when you go in and teach your classes. It's what I called in the workshop, a strategy. And while you might not think strategy and yoga teaching belong in the same sentence, they absolutely do. Because let's face it, if you're going in to teach your class and you have no strategy, you will have no confidence. You will be willy-nilly kind of discombobulated and your students will absolutely feel that. However, if you have a strategy, if you have an approach, you will be much calmer, your delivery will be much better, the comprehension of your students will be higher, you will energetically see that and feel that, and therefore your confidence will be higher when you teach those kinds of classes. So this idea of sharing three to four action cues per pose is a framework that piggybacks off the earlier tip I shared about just sharing action cues. And now it gives you a framework within which to use those cues. So you'll know going into your classes, I'm going to share action cues today. I'm going to share three to four per pose. Now I've got an approach. Now I've got a way to structure what I'm going to say. Again, I go into this a lot more in the workshop. Number five, give students a few breaths in some of the poses without adding any cues so you have a chance to take a few deep breaths yourself. So in the workshop, I go into a little bit about the benefit of this, not only to you, but to your students. The gist of this is finding a way for you to catch some moments while you're teaching to reground yourself, to settle yourself, especially if you're feeling nervous. And so this idea of turning on your parasympathetic nervous system, down-regulating the sympathetic nervous system, you know, calming your nerves through deep breathing, this is what this one is about. Number six, stand in front of the class as you start and then move around the room as you teach. So let me ask you, do you get nervous when you first walk into the studio? Do you get nervous when all eyes on you, eyes are on you and people are like, all of a sudden looking at you, that is number one, common. And I get that. I, I used to feel that. And number two, it's part of building your confidence is allowing yourself to be seen. I go into this more in the workshop itself for right now. What I'll say is this idea of starting out your class, standing in front of the class not only is to give you an opportunity to build your confidence and kind of sit with those nerves and, you know, kind of funny feelings in your stomach and working through them. 
It's also a strategy, there's that word again, to allow you to see who's in the class. You know, not so much who by their name, but as you're starting them in those poses, those initial poses, what do you notice? Do you feel like there's a bunch of beginners? Do you feel like there's more experienced students? Do you feel like someone might need help for a particular reason? Standing in front of the class gives you an ability to see everyone there. And then once class begins, yeah, you can move about the room. You can kind of dive in and assist people one-on-one -on -one and kind of energetically be in their physical space a little bit more. But if you're doing that right out of the gate, it can be really easy to sort of lose track of the whole. And that can be really nerve wracking because then all of a sudden you're realizing, oh my God, I'm in the middle of the class here and I've just sort of lost track of where I am in the sequence kind of thing. And there's also what I talked about in the workshop, this energetic kind of vibe, kind of ball that you're trying to keep moving. And when you're assisting just one person or when you're kind of in the middle of the classroom, the studio, it can be hard to kind of hold space for everybody there. And some of the students, you know, if they're far away from you, might not even hear you because now you're really focusing just on one student. You might even be talking to one student. I mean, how many times have we been in a class and all of a sudden the teacher no longer is talking to everybody, they're talking to one person? You know, it happens. It's just that it's so important as a teacher that we keep the ball rolling for everybody all the time. And it can absolutely be a confidence killer if we're finding ourselves kind of behind the eight ball on that. So more on that in the workshop. Number seven, when you feel nervous or self-conscious, take three deep breaths, feel your feet on the floor to ground your nervous system. So this has to do with really using kind of that that grounding through your legs, creating foundation as a way also with deep breathing to settle your nerves. So once you settle your nerves, you'll find your confidence again. And these actions that I'm suggesting, the grounding down into your leg, into your feet, into your legs, taking some deep breaths, these actions are designed to put you in a position where you feel a little bit more, maybe a lot more in control, where you can settle any nerves you have and allow you to start to feel more comfortable in your body, which will equal more confidence. Number eight, if you're overthinking how students are reacting to your class, focus your energy on clearly seeing them and speaking right to them. So this has to do with um, a metaphor I like to use in terms of, are you having your phone on selfie mode or do you have your phone on landscape mode where you're looking out and seeing what's in front of you? I mean, I know when I listen to Andrew Huberman's podcast, uh, the neuroscientist, he talks about how in moments of stress, we often hone our vision to just one thing. And a great way to decrease stress is to increase the amount of um, visual information that's coming in through your visual system, meaning your eyes. And so if you're ever finding yourself just during the day really stressed, step away from what you're doing and open your visual landscape so that you can see like out ahead of you, look out into the distance, open your eyes. He talks about how this is known to decrease your um, sympathetic nervous system's response because it's increasing the amount of input to the eyes. 
And so this has a relationship to not only your nervous system, but your brain. So here, what I'm saying is kind of similar. If you're finding yourself getting caught up in your inner thoughts, that self-judgment mode that we can get into when we're teaching, oh, I don't think they're liking this class or, oh, I'm messing up or nobody's going to, you know, like this class when we're done or that person looks bored or all those things that we might say to ourselves. If you're finding that you're in one of those cycles, start to really look out into the room and see the students as they move on the mat. Speak to what you see. Use cues that are that are inspired by things that you're seeing in front of you. And what this essentially does is it's just like the phone. You're turning it from selfie mode, i.e. your inner experience, to landscape mode, i.e. what's happening out in front of you. So again, more on this in the actual in the actual replay. Number nine, give yourself a power word or mantra you can repeat in your head when you find you're getting nervous. So I know, and I, I talked about this before, I use mantras a lot. And when I was training for my first marathon, I remember my mantra was the powers in the legs, the powers in the legs. And I would just repeat that over and over to myself on my long runs. And then when I eventually ran my first marathon and we can use mantras as a way to remind ourselves about our ability, our goodness, our confidence, our authenticity. So it could be a mantra that doesn't necessarily speak to building confidence. It might just be, you're on the right track, be yourself, be strong, feel your feet, anything. So think of, of something that would inspire you that you can call on in those moments when you're teaching and you don't feel really confident and you don't feel like you're connecting with your students and instead repeat that to yourself. And then the last one, keep reminding yourself that you're there to be of service and the students want your guidance as a teacher. Otherwise, they'd just be practicing at home. And this is so true. I mean, I think, you know, there's certainly as we build our skill, as we build our knowledge base, we get more comfortable with holding ourselves out as someone who is confident. I, I kind of hesitate to use the word expert, although you can sort of think of it that way, but it's not expert like I'm 100% right all the time. It's just, I'm confident in my skills as a teacher. And I would say that's a good way that I would describe expert. Um, I think what's more common is that people don't think they know enough and they don't feel they are experienced enough and teachers feel like they're imposters and they don't feel like they're qualified to be the one standing up and teaching the class. And so I bring this one up so that you can keep reminding yourself that, hey, <laughs> you are, you have done your initial training. Maybe you've done additional training. You are qualified to be there. And part of it is beginning to believe that yourself that you are qualified, that you are ready to stand in front of the class and lead people. And also that unique angle or aspect of being a yoga teacher that includes or speaks to that being of service, being of service. And when you are of service and, and framing what you do in that way, it means that whatever you're doing is good. It's in the context of helping. And so when you think of it that way, my hope is that it takes the pressure off you to try to be perfect or try to do it right. And instead, 
is acknowledging that you are there acting in service. So those are the 10 tips. I am happy to send you the replay so you can watch the 45 minute you know, kind of more detailed conversation around this. So just get in touch with me and I will send it to you. So for today's main topic of the show, I wanted to give you an experience of what it would like to be coached. And I know coaching right now is sort of used a lot as a term, although it's kind of rarely used in the context of yoga teaching. We sort of I think more commonly use the word mentor, like do you have a teacher mentor or a senior teacher? I like to use coaching though, because I, I like to frame it in a way where it gives the person I'm talking to, I'm working with more agency over what they come up with, more control, more independence. And I feel like mentor sounds a little bit more like someone knows more than you and they're telling you what to do. And that's never the approach that I take when I work with teachers in my program. And part of my yoga anatomy blueprint learning program includes coaching calls. And so that's the way that teachers receive coaching from me through these calls that are part of the program. Although sometimes I have other ways that I coach teachers, whether it's a mentorship program that I also offer, or sometimes I just do free coaching calls. And that's one of the things I'm going to offer you today. And once you hear some of these questions, my, my hope actually is that you are intrigued enough to actually book a coaching call with me, because I think it can be, I know it can be a really interesting and, and transformational experience for you to have another person walking you through these questions. Um, this is a really difficult thing to do on your own, kind of coach yourself. I think the more that we all work to highlight our blind spots and face challenges and work through challenges, we begin to learn how to more effectively, and I don't even really want to say successfully, but how to more effectively navigate problems as they come up so that we can address them right away and resolve them and not go into a downward spiral. It's just, it can just be challenging though to do that on your own, especially initially. And especially if you've never had the experience of being coached before, you know, I think a lot of people just think I have to kind of just do this on my own. And, you know, I'm, I'm not making an equivalency to therapy by any means. I'm simply saying when you have an external third party that you can bounce ideas off of and someone who is skilled at uh, listening and reflectively feeding back to you what they're hearing so that you can hear what you're saying from someone else. It just is an invaluable experience. And I can say over the years, as I've worked with a handful of coaches, it's been life-changing for me in helping me see what my blind spots are in helping me see how the language I'm using is really a tell 
to how I'm feeling. And this is a huge one. Um, when I see teachers in yoga teacher Facebook groups use words like struggling, I'm struggling to, the, to do this, I'm struggling to do that. I have trouble with this, I can't do this. I, can't. I mean, the amount of negative language that is used is off the charts. And what do you think that does when you use language like that? It just bogs you down and makes it even harder to move forward. And it just attaches a particular way of being to you that can quite honestly get, be really hard to shake. But this is sort of ingrained in our culture. And there are only certain, I don't wanna say certain people because that sounds like the Illuminati. Um, it's it's more that when you when you experience coaching, you start to see in yourself a lot of the things you do that are a tell to an underlying challenge. And language is almost always a tell. That's part of what I've talked about before, neuro-linguistic programming. It's the study of you know, kind of our way of being, how the brain works, how language is used. Um, I'm probably not defining it 100% perfectly, but I've talked before about neuro-linguistic programming on the show. And if you're really interested in it and learning more about it, I would absolutely recommend you get the book called The Essential Guide to NLP by Tom Hubar, H-O-O-Y. B-A-R. It's an amazing book. And obviously he'll define it much better in the book than I did. But I, I learned from reading that book about how language is such a, a sign to how we're really feeling inside. And it also becomes part of our identity when we're constantly saying certain things. I'm struggling. I can't. I'm not able to. I need to, it's so hard, this is so challenging. I mean, every time I teach anatomy within a 200 hour teaching program, almost every time there's a handful of teachers that are just you know, halfway through the 200 hour and they're nonstop complaining about how it's too much work, it, they're too, there are too many things going on in their life. You know, All of this, you know, I can't, I'm not getting enough sleep or I'll do the sessions and they'll be falling asleep in the sessions. It's just like this constant negativity. And you just want to say, well, number one, you signed up for this. No one forced you to sign up for it. And number two, what do you think all that negativity is doing to your ability to be successful? It's just bogging you down again, the backpack. So I'll just say before I launch into this, uh, these questions, these inquiry questions, just watch and listen to the language you use for the next few days. You know, if you've ever heard of taking a complaining fast, like promising yourself you're not going to complain for the next 24 hours, the next 72 hours, whatever it is about anything, you're not going to complain about the weather, you're not going to complain about your partner, you're not going to complain about you know, not having time. That's another one. I don't have enough time. I can't get to that. Oh, I'm too busy. All of that. Like what would happen if you just gave up complaining about anything? So that's a fun little challenge you can try. All right. So now that I've given you that as a prelude, keep in mind 
this is something that you would typically be doing with me one-on-one. -on -one. However, I wanted to give you a taste to see what comes up for you when you, when you go through this even just on your own. So I want you to just hear these questions from whatever space you're in right now, whatever place you're in right now. And I don't mean the actual literal place. I mean, whatever way of being you are right now today as a yoga teacher, because this is primarily focused on you as a teacher, not necessarily you as a partner or a, or a employee or whatever. This is 100% focused on yoga teaching. So here you are, your, your, wherever you are at on your journey as a teacher. So that's the place we're going to come at this from. So the first question is, let me go to my notes here. Sorry. The first question is, what is your biggest challenge right now? And I want you to think of it, of course, in the context of teaching. What's your biggest challenge that's preventing you from moving forward as a teacher? I don't really want to call it a problem because, again, problem is a, a just a heavy word that almost sounds like something that can't be changed. So just think of it as a challenge, an obstacle. What is getting in your way right now? What's your biggest challenge? And what comes up for you? Is it something around the, you know, actual skills of teaching? Is it something around knowledge? Is it something around feeling comfortable when you teach? What's your biggest challenge right now? And you can even journal as you're listening to this and, and write down your answers. You could listen to this again and, and write down your answers. So what's your biggest challenge right now? All right, so number two. What would be possible for you if you no longer faced or had this challenge? What would be possible for you if you no longer faced or had this challenge? How would you feel? What could you do that you can't do now? Who could you help and how? What money could you earn that you can't earn now? What could you create that you can't create now. And I want you to be really specific about this. So what would be possible for you if you no longer faced or had this challenge? How would you feel? That's a really important one. We don't often think about the feeling aspect, but the feeling aspect is what motivates people to make change. I mean, think about people when they, start to lose weight or they change their diet or they switch to healthier eating, they feel great. And so that is a motivating agent on its own. So the feeling is a huge part, but then there's also things like, what could you do if you didn't have this challenge? What money could you earn that you're not earning now? Who could you help? How could you build community? How could you help people in your community? What would be possible for you? if you no longer faced or had this challenge. And then the next question is, how urgent is it that this problem be solved, right? Have you ever like broken a nail in the beginning of the day and you can't get to a nail file and you're just constantly like dying to get to a nail file? That's an urgent problem. 
I mean, obviously it's not a big problem in the scheme of things, but it's urgent, right? You want to get to a nail file and file that nail down. There's obviously lots of other problems. What if you have to go to the bathroom and you can't find a bathroom? <laughs> That's an urgent problem. So think about whatever problem you just came up with and honestly ask yourself, how urgent is it that you solve this problem? And honestly, if you think about what's possible for you, if you solve this problem and you came up with a whole bunch of things that are possible for you, I hope that you say this problem is urgent that it be solved. Because if there's all sorts of things that are going to be possible for you when you solve this problem, but then you say, oh, the problem's not urgent to me, that doesn't make any sense. If there were all these benefits you could get from solving that challenge, wouldn't you classify it as an urgent problem? Otherwise, why would there be all those wonderful possibilities you could get? There wouldn't be. There would be like maybe one. So keep in mind, if you're, and this is where the neuro-linguistic programming comes into play, and this is the kind of thing that I uncover when I talk to teachers, because if you list a whole bunch of things that would be possible for you when you solve this challenge, and then you say, oh, but it's not really urgent, there's usually something else there. Something else is blocking you from classifying the challenge as urgent. You see what's possible, and at the same time, you're not willing to say it urgently needs to be solved. So there's something else. There's another reason why you're hesitant to solve this problem. There's something that you're getting by not solving it. You're not having to move forward. You're not having to put yourself out there. You're not having to try. You're not having to do something different. All those things you can avoid if you just keep things as they are. But remember, if you keep things as they are, none of those possibilities will bear fruit. None of those things will happen. So you sort of shortchange, well, you don't sort of, you do shortchange yourself. And that's not to say that that's bad or good. I just want you to see what you're doing because it's all about making good decisions. If you, if you see what you're doing and you see it as an avoidance, but you have a reason for that, that you believe is a good reason, well, maybe then you don't classify it as urgent. However, if you see it for what it really is, an avoidance, and you look at it as an avoidance, you're probably going to have a harder time not pursuing resolution to that challenge because you're going to know I'm just avoiding making positive change because I'm afraid. I'm afraid to take a chance. I'm afraid to invest in myself. I'm afraid it won't work for me. I know how that feels because I have those feelings too when I have opportunities to change. It's just that I quickly see exactly what's happening and then I have to move to the next step of making a decision. I remember at one point, somebody, something I read said there was some level of decision-making we do every day, like just hundreds and hundreds of decisions from what to wear to what to eat on and on, and that it just takes so much brain power. And that's why it's hard for people to make decisions. They just would rather avoid it. 
And I certainly have experienced that when I sometimes speak to yoga teachers, I sense that hesitancy around making a decision. And it can sometimes just be that it seems like it's just energy that you don't have. Keep in mind though, the energy that you're spending working around the problem or managing the problem is still costing you. <laughs> so that's the thing. It's kind of like, you know, if you really think about it, why don't you just spend the energy solving the problem and looking at the problem as urgent because you've now identified all the things that you'll get if the problem is solved. And then the next question, which is the last one, is what's stopping you from solving this problem on your own? What's stopping you from just fixing this? If you're able to identify it, why can't you just fix it? And usually what I hear from teachers is that they just don't know how, and they just don't have the knowledge. They don't have the information. They don't know the steps. They don't know how. How am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to get from A to Z? And typically, when teachers have that realization, they turn to Google, <laughs> YouTube, Instagram. These are the places that people go, that yoga teachers go, when they have a problem and they don't know how to fix it. But I want to ask you this. Are any of these challenges things that are Googleable? Probably not. These are more complex things. They take into account you and your personality and how you think about yourself and your experience, your life story, all of that. It's really hard to find answers on Google to those kinds of things. And also, there are organized ways, step-by-step -step ways, tried and true ways, proven ways that problems can be solved. And sometimes it's just a matter of recognizing what those ways are and knowing when you see like, oh, okay, I don't have to figure this out on my own on the internet. I can just follow the steps. So again, this last question, what's stopping you from solving this problem on your own? So let me just run through as we're wrapping up here in this episode, let me just run through these questions again. What's your biggest challenge right now? What would be possible for you if you no longer faced or had this challenge? How urgent is it that this problem be solved? And what's stopping you from solving this problem on your own? So you've had this experience now of going through this exercise independently in your mind. And I'm going to offer you an opportunity to go through it with me in an actual coaching call. And I can tell you, I've done hundreds of these over the years and they're always amazing because people show up ready to contribute and learn and, and be open-minded. And that energetic space and mindset is fertile ground for lots of positive, amazing things to happen. So if you're intrigued by these questions and you're, you're intrigued by what you could discover if you were to experience 
yoga coaching, uh, I want you to just send me a DM or send me an email and let me know that you'd like to set up a session and I'll walk through these questions with you one-on-one. Uh, -on -one, so it's highly personalized, obviously, totally custom to you. And we'll see what we come up with. You'll see what you come up with. And this could give you, especially as we head into next year, a really clear path to follow so that you can be the teacher you want to be so that you can help who you want to help in the way you want to help them. And all the things that come with that, getting confident, building community, earning your worth, making an impact, all those things. So I want to thank you so much for being with me here on the show. And I absolutely look forward to speaking with you again, connecting with you again on next week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Namaste. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode. And thank you so much for being part of my community and for spending some time with me here on the show. I wanted to wrap up this episode with just a quick note. I have a brand new recorded workshop page, and I'm really excited to offer you an opportunity to watch recorded workshops whenever you want. I have the first installment of a workshop on the page on the website, and it is a short workshop all about how to give effective cues. And so all you need to do to watch this free workshop is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see the listing in the dropdown for recorded workshops. When you click that page, you'll see on that page the link to sign up to watch that recorded workshop. I'll be adding more workshops in the future to this page, and it's a way that you can access educational and growth information for teachers without having to make a workshop at a particular time. I love to get together with teachers live, both in person and of course online, which is where I'm doing most of my interaction with teachers right now. However, I appreciate that sometimes people can't make a workshop or the time doesn't work for them or they're in a different time zone. So I want you to know that this page can be a resource for you so that as you're out there and you have questions about different things, or you have maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes that you wanna to devote to your continuing education as a teacher, you can just go to my website, pull up this recorded workshops page, and there will be resources there for you to take a look at. And all of the workshops that I share are all designed at number one, giving you information, and number two, giving you the skills that come from getting that information. It doesn't do you any good if I'm just giving you information on anatomy. If I don't show you how you can use it in your teaching to grow as a teacher, to grow your impact, then it's really not very useful. So all my workshops will have that dual focus sharing a little bit, and then showing you how to apply it. So I hope you'll check that out. If you have any questions or feedback, definitely let me know. Just send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and I look forward to hearing from you. Namaste.